Well, hello there, HW here, and thank you so much for listening to episode 18 of the Tone Junkie podcast. It's the FRFR episode, guys, and this has been a heavily requested episode, the FRFR episode. Those of you who follow the content on social media, on Instagram, uh, on Facebook, you know that the Tone Junkies got a plethora, a cornucopia even, uh, of FRFR speakers together, and we decided to do a little shootout. Because no doubt, no matter what you're playing, whether it be the Kemper, the Helix, the Axe FX, 123 XL Ultra, however many versions they have at this point, <laughs> uh, uh, or the Bias, you know, Bias, or whatever you're playing, Head Rush, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're playing, you've probably run into the challenge of going, hey, what should I buy to amplify this thing? Should I use studio monitors? How should I monitor my sound live? Am I happy using only in-ears and headphones at home? What is the whole FRFR thing about? Well, I want to tell you what the FRFR thing is about. I want to tell you the results of our shootouts, and I want to hopefully uh, provide a little bit of, of knowledge to some people about FRFR speakers, FRFR monitors and the such, because... In doing this shootout, I realized some things that I hadn't really realized before. I realized maybe what is part of the FRFR sound that seems to be present in all FRFR speakers that I noticed across all of the examples we used. And then also sort of, yeah, how, how that compares to a guitar cabinet, but then also the differences you see in them. So let's start. Uh, you know, let me tell you, I think if you've ever taken uh, to the internet, to a Facebook group or to the gear page or anywhere, you've heard a lot of people talk about FRFR speakers. And you've heard a lot of people share opinions about the ones they own. It's this thing I notice where it seems like a lot of people online are just talking to themselves. Now, you might pause at this moment and realize, H.W., that's a very astute observation for a person who has no guests on their podcast and literally talks to themselves. And I would say that's correct. It is an astute observation. Thank you for noticing. Um, <laughs> although you might have meant it sarcastically. Um, but no, it, I noticed there's this, this type of speaking online. And I, I'll tell you, I, I'm just... I notice it from certain people, certain characters online. Um, they tend to be very pro certain pieces of gear and whatnot. They're the type of people who feel the need to, whenever someone says, hey, uh, I'm thinking about selling all my stuff and getting a Kemper or a Helix or an Axe. What, what do you guys think? They're the type of people who feel the need to jump on there and convert you to their team. I never feel the need to convert anyone to the Kemper team because I just think that if you don't think the Kemper sounds the best, me writing an internet comment about that isn't going to convince you. You know what I mean? You've pro if, you're, if you're asking that question, you've probably looked at videos, tried to listen for yourself. Maybe you've even played the units. So if you decide to go with something else, I... I'm not in the business to convince anyone of anything. I'm just raising my hand and going, hey, Tone Junkie, Kemper, that's what we do. Anybody into it? Oh, you're into it? Let's be friends. 
But I notice there's this need, uh, especially among those people, but, but among a lot of people, to say that a certain piece of gear is always the best. And I notice that it, it directly correlates with the piece of gear they most recently purchased. Do you ever notice that? Do you ever notice that someone says, I looked at these FRFRs and this one's the best? But if you really probe them about it, you're like, well, no, you, you didn't get eight FRFRs into a room. You didn't get all of them. I didn't even get all of them. Because in the shootout, we just got the Mission Gemini 2, the Mission Engineering Gemini 2. We got the Alto 312, which from what I can tell seems to be the same as the Headrush uh, unit, which we'll get into that because I got the Alto unit that I believe is the same as the Headrush, not the Alto 210, which is different than the Headrush, but we'll get into that. Uh, then we had the Friedman ASM-12, which is the same internally as the ASC-12, the ASM-12, the monitor-shaped version, and the ASC-12, the more traditional cabinet-shaped version, uh, are the same inside, according to Friedman, although the box itself could have some effect on the sound. Uh, and then we also got the Line 6 Power Cab Plus um, and um, the Tone Junkies' uh, kind of favorite uh, guitar cabinet and favorite, favorite speakers and ran a Kemper, uh, a powered Kemper through there. And we had a Kemper on each unit, and we went through them. And, uh, but we didn't even get everything. I mean, look, after, after I put up some pictures, I immediately got people going, oh, you didn't do the Atomic CLR? Well, no, well, no I just didn't. I... I you know, I did, I did gather one, two, three, four, five, you know, six of these things. I'm, I, I'm sorry. I guess I could have done eight. But okay. Hey, there can always be a round two where I bring some of these back and then compare them to the Atomic CLR or the Zytone, Michael Britt signature one, which I can, I can easily borrow from Mike. Um, and then there's some other ones. I could actually get a head rush unit and compare it to the Alto. People would, would find that interesting. So there's a whole option to do part two. But back to the point at hand here. Um, you notice, I notice a lot of people just taking to the internet and saying, oh, the head rush is the absolute best. Oh, the Friedman is the absolute best. Oh, the, the Gemini is the absolute best. And I think it's fair to say this. There's a thing that people do. It's, it's, it's part of the honeymoon phase of owning gear. They're not really speaking to anyone but themselves. And I think them needing to be part of the conversation and sort of throwing out this opinion helps them feel better. It helps change, it helps weigh out, if they go on to a conversation happening on Facebook, for example, or on the gear page, for example, and they say, and people say, what's the best FRFR? And they see Friedman, Line 6, Atomic, and they feel like, no, the Alto's the best. They feel better when they write a whole blur about how the Alto is the best. Now, have they tried all of those other ones? No. And what is the person asking the question really expecting anyway in these interactions? Um, hi. Um, this is another sort of just dynamic that you have on message boards and stuff. It's it's that you it's that here's what's going to happen. I I am I've now I'm now making this podcast about FRFRs. I've gathered many in a room and compared them, and and I'm attempting to share with you my thoughts. This is the long winded version, obviously, and then there'll be a much more condensed version where you're going to be able to see video and hear audio. 
on uh, on YouTube, on Facebook. And I'm gonna anytime I see someone say, "What's the best FRFR?" I'm gonna drop that video in there. And now a lot of people are gonna go, "Well, that's self-serving. You're just dropping your own video in there, just promoting what you're doing." Just promoting what you're doing. And I go back to like this. Like, is it less or more self-serving than to just spout off my opinion that the one I own is better? Like, what does the person asking the question expect? Do they really expect that someone's going to put up like a a peer-reviewed scientific paper about which FRFR is better? I think they're looking for a general consensus of the group. But a lot of times that general consensus reflects just that. What is the general consensus of the group? Meaning, if that question was asked last month or the month before, and the general consensus of the group seems to be, let's say everyone in that group starts to go, I really like the Headrush unit, or I really like the Alto, or I really like the Freedman. Then more people buy the Alto and the Freedman, and the next time the question gets answered, you have all the dedicated diehards of that FRFR speaker, and then next time you have the new converts. And they're just going to drink the Kool-Aid and spit it back out. Uh, um, not in disgust, but I mean, they're going to regurgitate kind of what they've been hearing, which is, yes, it's the best. Yes, it's the best. Yes, it's the best. So it's this circular type of thing that you see um, in groups where everything's always the best. Everything the group says is the best is the best. Look, I, I haven't, I, I realize I may have accidentally, I feel like, greatly influenced a group that I love being a part of lately. A lot of you who listen to the podcast may also be members of a group called KPW, Kemper Praise and Worship. And I really felt like for a long time I just talked about Sir Guitars. And I always did. And I, I, I knew that a lot of people then would message me about Sir Guitars. But I don't know what happened. We hit a tipping point. And all of a sudden in this group, it, it, the joke is that it's now called Sir P&W. Because we almost talk about Sir Guitars. We don't talk about it as much as we talk about Kemper. But in this particular group, there's been an avalanche. And I think it has to do with... I would say I'm a vocal member of that group. I'm always talking about Sir Guitars. There's another, uh, the Suze is always talking about Sir Guitars. And then what happened was I, I sold a couple Sir Guitars to a couple other members of the group, and then they jumped back and said, wow, this, this really is amazing. And then, of course, I'm not the only person selling Sirs. Some other people grabbed some Sirs and said, this is great. We got this one guy who uh, owns like 10 of them. He's a hell of a player, by the way. Um, his name's Keith. Anyway, I don't want to use too many names. I don't want to call people on the podcast because they didn't ask me to call them out on the podcast. So, But anyway, this guy's a hell of a player and has a million sir guitars. Um, quite literally, one million. And um, then he's posting pictures, and then these guys from Worship Tutorials, they got... I, one of my tellies went to uh, a, a guy named Bradford at Worship Tutorials. And then Brian at Worship Tutorials started going. He bought um, uh, an Alt-T and started saying it's one of his favorite guitar. And then it just created this absolute avalanche of Sir Love in this group. To the point at which people start asking generic questions like, hey, what's the best, what kind of strat would you guys recommend for the money? Sir, 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 sir. And I look at it in the group and I go, I see there's a pullback. Because I see people actually verbalizing going, it just feels like a fad. And oh my gosh, I can't tell you how much I hate that, that it feels like a fad. That a piece, that that a guitar manufacturer that I would argue is one of the best out there. Now listen, I wouldn't argue it's the only thing you need to buy. You need to buy a Sir or not. And I've even said on this podcast, 
I've run into guitars where the fit and finish is above most of the stuff I played from Sir. The price point was also a lot higher too. I'm talking about Elliot. But I just really like what Sir does and I think they charge a super fair price. And when I look at their instruments, there's absolutely nothing wrong. You might go, oh, I prefer this neck over this neck. Hey, that's fine. This pickup over this pickup. Hey, that's fine. But no one walks away from a Sir. In, in my experience, I've never seen anyone walking away going, I'm disappointed in this one, or this one was a dog, or blah, blah, blah. Their QC is up there with PRS and stuff in terms of, I don't run into PRSs with warped necks or messed up frets or anything like that. They just have really good quality control. But I noticed the dynamic that's happened in the group has been, in this one group in particular, has been all these people singing the Sir praise and then some people really bucking against that trend. And I go, oh man, I actually, I feel like it, it both does a positive thing for for pushing the Sir brand, which I don't have really a motive to do. They've, they're not paying me any money. I just like Sirs and I'm playing them. I'm also have talked a lot about my one particular Sir custom, I mean, a Fender custom shop guitar that I own, which I say is great. And I would recommend if you, if you love vintage-y style stuff that's more period true, more period correct, Fender custom shop's doing awesome stuff. So anyway, just an observation there about sort of the dynamic that happens in Facebook groups. And I think I've got to explore that subject more because it really is interesting. Because the subculture of the internet, the, the, the dynamic that exists on the group, I think is related to how the group interacts. Any group, I'm not just talking about one group, any group. But this group in particular, I noticed some people now almost have a negative connotation over gear that people recommend so so highly. And so um, I, I, I don't know if I'm responsible I, I have to be partially responsible, but um, I certainly didn't. Let me let me put it this way: in this one particular group, there was this. There's there's what's become this avalanche of sir love, and what's interesting to me about it is I don't feel like I pushed it over the edge. I feel like I've just been doing my, my same thing repeatedly, and so for a while it was like that guy loves sirs, and then. Those two guys love sirs. Those three guys. Now, I'm even making it sound like I was the first person to have a sir guitar. I was not. I'm just saying I, I was very vocal about it. And I know, and there were some other people that were vocal too. But it seemed like as more and more people got vocal, it just it, – it got – it. I, I almost want to say it's this out-of-control sir love train, which I personally am happy being on. And I would even uh, – um, I would even uh, – you know, I'd love to put on my conductor hat and uh, take credit for driving the Sir Love train, but, but I can't. It, it wasn't me. It wasn't any real effort, I, and I have no real interest in pushing Sir other than I really like their guitars. Anyway, all that to say this, that same dynamic, that sort of avalanche and that group hysteria, it's this group dynamic where we all get a little hysterical. It's this mob mentality, this internet gear mob mentality, right? Where we all get behind something really fervently and we love to hear the opinion thrown back at us. We want to hear, this is a natural thing. We want to hear that what we just bought is the best thing. It makes us feel better. It makes us feel more assured about the money we no longer have because buyer's remorse is real. I sat in a conference one time all about buyer's remorse and it explored what buyer's remorse was and buyer's remorse is really um, 
Buyer's remorse is really the manifestation of the feelings of doubt or the lack of confidence in a product that manifest after the customer was convinced to buy. And what happens is, this is, the, this is when buyer's remorse happens. You will have buyer's remorse when you are examining a product and you're looking at a product. And you always have some level of confidence in a product, whether it's low or high, whatever. So in your head, map a level of confidence you have in a product. I'm 50-50. I kind of want to buy this, but I kind of don't. So you're, you're on the fence. Or maybe you're like, I'm pretty sure this is going to solve my problem. Or maybe you're like, that says it's going to solve my problem, but I, I just don't know. I have some doubts if that thing's going to work, if I'm going to be happy with it. So here is where buyer's remorse comes in. Buyer's remorse happens when a consumer has a reasonable level of confidence in a product, not an exceeding level of confidence, not a low level of confidence, a reasonable level of confidence in a product. And they are pushed over the edge by something, not an increase in confidence. See, if we increased, if a marketer or a business could address their concerns, they say, well, is this thing going to last a long time? Maybe that's their, that's their concern. That's what's stopping them from having an exceeding level of confidence in, the, in, the, in making a purchase. If, if the message sent by the salespeople, the marketing people, by the, by the company, by the makers of the product, if they could address that concern, the buyer would have more information to make the right decision. But what happens instead is that companies use sort of sales tactics that are designed to push people over the edge. Let me explain. A buyer with a, with a reasonable level of confidence might then be pushed over the edge by a promotion like this. Buy now, offer ends tonight. Say 15%, offer ends tonight. And they go, odd. Oh, now it's the buyer's reasonable level of confidence plus the FOMO. The fear of missing out on this deal, the fear of wasting money that pushes them over the edge. Something pushes them, maybe it's pressure from a salesperson. Maybe it's that they're hungry and they want to go to lunch, so they're just going to sign on the dotted line and take the car today. What happens later is that once that pressure is gone, once the buyer saves 20%, 15%, they were pushed over the edge, they no longer feel the pressure of, of a sales tactic, they're not they're left with only a reasonable level of confidence and they can start to experience, they can start to manifest sort of that doubt that they still had in remorse. Uh, did I really need this? That was a lot of money. And, and the weight of getting 15% off or 20% off or 25% off, even though it was strong at the moment, it's not a lasting feeling. Buyers will often regret buying something that they felt pressured to buy or they felt, um, yeah, they felt pressured to buy by especially a time constraint. So what do we do next? How do we fight buyer's remorse? Well, companies have a way of fighting buyer's remorse. Marketers have a way of fighting buyer's remorse. It's a subject you'll hear in marketing circles and stuff. But you know what buyers do because they don't like remorse? Psych psychologically, we as consumers do not like remorse. We want to feel good about the stuff we buy. This is where we take to the internet and try to convince other people that we made the right purchasing decision. <laughs> Isn't that weird? 
we then go tell other people how great what we bought was. What's even funny is sometimes I notice these interactions between people. Like if you have a favorite pizza place and somebody else has a favorite pizza place, you were like, my pizza place is so good. Check this out. It's like this, 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 and this. The other person, without even really listening or skipping a beat, will jump in and we go and go, well, I have this favorite pizza place that's this, 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 and this. And then you jump back and you're like, yeah. Well, that one I was telling you about, it, ha- it, it has free this on Tuesday night. And really quickly, if you take a step back, you realize you're like, no one's actually listening to each other. And no one is taking the advice of the other person. Neither party is really going to go try out the other person's pizza place. They're just sort of trying to convey that their pizza place is so great. So that they feel great about, they know about the best pizza place. I know the best pizza place. Let me tell you about it. Oh, you know one too? Yeah, that's really cool. But my pizza place is even better. It doesn't become adversarial. It doesn't become an argument. But it does sort of become this friendly debate. Even if you don't acknowledge that you're debating each other or trying to convince each other, you almost, you internally, when you hear another place is good or another product is good that you didn't buy, you say how good it is. Look at Android and, and, and iPhone. People fall into these camps and get so firm. Have you ever met those, those Android people who hate Apple products? I don't feel any way towards products enough to hate them and be like, I'm choosing the other side. Now, I actually hate Comcast. I think DirecTV is okay. They have, they have bad days. But I hate Comcast. But that's from, that's from my experience with them, right? Anyways, this weird thing. This happens. This happens all over the internet. And so there's this... This desire to just say, this FRFR is the best. See how I brought that back home? We're back on track of Tone Junkie Podcast, episode 18, FRFR episode. We are, it's it's my FRFR is the best. Oh, this head rush unit is the best. And people, I don't think, are really honest with themselves when they say, this is the best or that's the best. They're not being honest with themselves. They're trying to make themselves feel better. They're fighting any remorse. They're fighting that little seed of a feeling that gets planted in their head when they see someone else say, I tried the one you like and I tried this one and I preferred the third one. Then they go, whoa, that's threatening to people. They made the wrong decision. That's what they're, that's what they're hearing. You're saying I made the wrong decision? No, this one's the best. And then they'll like comments that agree with them, Right? This is social media. <laughs> we like the stuff we agree with, right? It's, it's not really a place to become enlightened or get differing opinions. It's just a place to hear what you really like. And that's what it's designed for. It spits back out at you what you like. So, FRFR. Let me tell you this. The one HW owns, the Friedman ASM-12, it's not the best one. It's not the best one. No one in the room thought that. We thought it had some nice qualities. It wasn't the heaviest one. It wasn't the most expensive. It wasn't the worst sounding one. But it wasn't the best one. That's the type of honesty you get here on the Tone Jiggy Podcast. I just want to say that for a minute. Because I, I recognize that feeling in myself to want to say, the one, see, the one I've been playing is the best. But it's not. It's not the best. Now, it wasn't so bad that I'm going to sell it and go get something else. I might get something else, but I'm not selling it. <laughs> Like a true tone junkie. Um, it, it's, it's not the best. So let's talk about the ones we had in there. I'm going to go over my thoughts and my opinions and which one you should buy. First of all, it would not be um, a fair comparison if we don't consider price. 
So I'm going to include the prices um, that all of these cost, and I'm going to include features about them because the FRFR world right now is not what is the FRFR world and what is an FRFR um, speaker. It's it's flat range, full response, right? And so these are speaker. We shouldn't even call them FRFR speakers. They're just speakers. We're the ones who have the weird speakers. Guitar players are the ones that have speakers that are specifically designed to color and distort sounds. Most other speakers on the market actually try not to distort very much. But let me say this very important thing. FRFR speakers are not without their own sonic signature. And I think that's somehow a myth that's been perpetrated around online. When people go, well, why do I need an FRFR? And they say, and and the answer you usually get is, well, because a, a guitar cabinet, a guitar speaker will color the sound, but an FRFR won't. Well, that's not true. Here's what it is. Guitar speakers are designed to have a high percentage distortion. They are designed to heavily color a sound. They're designed to color sounds to a degree that an FRFR speaker, even a poorly performing one, would just not color a sound. A guitar speaker is not at all designed for sound replication. It's a driver really designed for sound generation. It's it's trying to author a sound. It's trying to affect it in a particular way, which makes that driver, that speaker, valuable. An FRFR is designed to give less coloration. It's, it's, maybe you could say it's designed to give no coloration, but that's not possible. It's not possible. See, let me explain this. We, you and I might know from guitar cabinets and bass cabinets that there are differences in the sound of a 10-inch speaker, a 12-inch speaker, a 15-inch speaker, right? So how can you have FRs that are 10-inch speakers, 12-inch speakers, or 15-inch speakers and not have the size of the speaker affect the sound? Why would the makers of PA equipment be offering 15-inch speakers? They're doing it because you get a certain type of bass out of it. It's able to reproduce frequencies differently. Why 10s? Why do people like 10-inch speakers? They have a tighter bass. Why do bass players use 10-inch speakers? They want a smaller cone for the low stuff, and they will often use 10s because it's tighter. So I'm kind of looking at it going, let's not fall into the trap here of thinking FRFR speakers don't color the sound. They do, but they're not, that's not their intention. They're actually trying to accurately reproduce sound, but they're not free of coloration. So Let's not, and, and let's go down that rabbit hole for a minute. If FRFR speakers all, uh, d- all claim that they don't color the sound at all and don't, well, then every one of them should sound the same. And they don't. Go get any two. They do not sound the same. And anyone who has worked with PA equipment and stuff, um, high-end audio engineers, I mean, they don't sound the same. Look, your studio monitors are FRFR speakers, They are full-range flat response. Notice we don't call them FRFR because they're just speakers. That's what they are. That's that's one of my points here is we're giving them this name, FRFR speakers. We're giving them that because we think guitar cabinet speakers are speakers. We think Celestian makes speakers. They do, but they make guitar drivers. They make guitar speakers. So 
why would someone buy Yamaha HS5s over HS8s over KRKs over Gibson Flame Maple Front Studio Monitor? Because they do sound different. And producers like the way that one might have silkier high end or this or that or, or deeper bass or smoother bass. or a be- it, It's a type of thing where you might listen on one speaker and music sounds one way and then you listen on another speaker and you go, wow, listen to how deep that bass is. And then a third one you might go, oh, look how boomy that bass is. I dislike it. So they have different qualities. It's not as though they're all the same because trust me, they're not all the same. And you'll hear that in the YouTube video coming out. You will hear that. They're not all the same. For the YouTube video, I just took a Zoom H6 recorder, put it in the room about the height of my ear, um, and placed it back in the room, further back than where we were sitting, but in the room, maybe it was 15 feet away. And I said, okay, imagine you're standing here. Here's how they sound. So you get a lot of that room noise, of course. You get a lot of the room sound, that's fine. We're gonna hear which has more bass, which has less bass, because we kept the variables constant. So is it a scientific, uh, comparison? No, there's no way to do that. There's no way to experience these things um, in a recorded format that that perfectly replicates being in the room with them. So what we've done is just said, okay, we're not going to have a perfect test. We're instead just going to have a test where we where we leave as, as many things constant as possible. So you're going to hear when I say the alto has more bass, you're going to hear that. When I say the Gemini actually doesn't have as much bass as the other FRs, you're going to hear that. When I say the Friedman has sort of a, a, a pushed mid-range, but also a lot more chime in the high end than, say, the Line 6 Power Cap, you're going to hear that. So all that to say, I learned in this process how different the FRFRs are from each other, but also how they all have some things in common and they sound like FRFRs, which is different than how a guitar speaker sounds. And we'll get into where the Gemini falls on that spectrum because, in my opinion, the Gemini really, it's hard to compare the Gemini to these other FRFRs because it's sort of trying to be the FRFR guitar cabinet rather than just an FRFR speaker. So let's get into it and let's break it down. First up, let's talk about the Gemini for a minute. The first speaker we used, I would and I would really categorize these as... Are they true FRFRs? Are they not true FRFRs? Do they try to do something else? Because some of these units are trying to do some other things with an, for an added value. And like I said before, we've also got to consider price. So let's talk about the Gemini for a minute and my initial impressions of the Gemini. The, Gemini, the Mission Engineering Gemini 2. And, and thank you to Mission for sending me um, this FRFR. Full disclosure, they provided it for me for this comparison, for this podcast, for uh, some videos I'm going to do um, on FRFR speakers, and even a video I'll do looking at the Gemini. And I reached out to them and asked them to provide it to me for this reason. One, it's a unique product in what it's offering. It's, it has some different feature sets that aren't in all other FRs. The Line 6 Power Cab is another one that has a unique feature set. It, it's bringing some different things to the table that you don't find in all the FRFR speakers. And two, it's $1,500. So I wasn't, I didn't want to go buy one. Uh, <laughs> so I reached out and said, hey, will you, guys, will you guys send me one and I'll send it back. And so my, I, I very much appreciate them allowing uh, us to look at it in this video. And, but full disclosure, they're not paying for this or anything. They haven't influenced my opinion other than they've allowed me to borrow one, uh, which I appreciate. But that doesn't mean I'm going to tell you things I, I, I don't think about it. In my opinion, this unit is 
the, the least sort of typical um, in what it's doing. Because although it has a full FRFR mode, it's not really constructed like the other FRFR speakers. Um, and it's not, it doesn't appear that its intended purpose is really to be the same as these other FRFRs. Some of the speakers out there on the market, um, the Alto, from what I can tell, the Head Rush, we'll get more into what the Head Rush is and stuff. I didn't get a Head Rush, but we'll get into why I didn't get a Head Rush. From what I can tell, uh, the Friedman ASM12, ASC12, um, a lot of these are basically the guts of PA speakers. It's not as though a guitar company sat down and, and designed a speaker for use with a modeler. Uh, rather, the modelers are putting out a sound that's supposed to be put through a PA, through a system. And so they're providing us the same speaker solutions they would use for another instrument that does that. For example, keyboards. Keyboards don't need an amplifier to color their sound on stage. It delivers the finished product. For example, um, acoustic guitars, really. Acoustic guitars uh, from the pickup, although it doesn't sound like an acoustic guitar unplugged, piezo pickups have their own sound, and you usually don't need to rely on another unit. Now, there are other units on the market that make your acoustic guitar sound different, preamps, and uh, things similar to a Kemper uh, profile, really, these sorts of images or IR type things. But that's what it is. That's they. Um, they're, the speakers are generally PA speakers. In fact, some of them even have a hole on the bottom to mount on a, on a large stand and use as a PA speaker. The Friedman ASM-12 has a hole to literally mount it on a stand to use like a PA speaker because the Friedman ASM-12 is, a, is an overseas-made PA speaker like most of these things. They're made somewhere, and it's it's made for Friedman and badged as a Friedman product. Dave Friedman is not hand-wiring these things up, which I'm not faulting it for. I've had one for many years. I've been, not many years, I've had one for a couple of years, and I'm very happy with it. I'm not selling it. It's not the best FRFR in this comparison. The mission is the most unique, jumping back on subject here, the mission is the most unique in that it offers a couple features that other ones don't. One, it's constructed like a guitar cabinet, and it's heavy. And I think it's okay that it's heavy because it's about as heavy as a heavy guitar cabinet. Where some of these are lighter, um, this one isn't trying to be light. It's a big, it has two big full-range speakers which make it heavy, plus they constructed the cabinet like wood. Plus, they give you a bunch of in and out options on the back. There's USB stuff going on. They have a Bluetooth model. They've got all sorts of stuff. It's stereo. No other cab in this comparison is full stereo. One of the beauties of modelers is that they put out stereo audio very easily, very conveniently. If you're using the new Kemper delays, if you're excited about the new Kemper reverbs, if you believe that the Helix has the best effects out there, not that I don't believe it, I think it has some really great effects. Um, uh, I, I don't know what, I honestly don't know what has better effects, the Helix or the, um, um, the Axe stuff, you know, they have their own effects unit or the Kemper, whatever. I don't know who has the best effects. I know the Helix stuff sounds really good. I've tried some of the drives. I was very impressed with them. But... It's so easy. It's literally two cords, two cables out of the back of these units gives you stereo. To me, using an FRFR at home 
the drawback of not using my my studio speakers, my studio monitors, is that I lose the stereo field when I want to play at home. But we've talked about on this podcast before why I enjoy FRFR speakers because I think they sound a little bigger and I don't really love the monitor pointed at your ear type thing. So I usually have an FRFR cab and I point it oh, you know, down at my legs. I point it lower uh, and I sit back a little bit from it like I would do with a guitar speaker because I think that's one real important uh, uh, piece of the, of the recipe. It's one important ingredient to give you like kind of an amp in the room tone, but not really an amp in the room tone, just, just a feel that I'm used to. And so having a stereo field, even if it's not very wide, it's one, two, 12 cabinet. It's not the widest stereo image you're going to get. You would need, you know, you'd need to take two speakers and spread them out a little more. But in one cab, you do hear the stereo response. You can hear the ping-ponging of delays. You can hear it all in all just sounds larger in the, from an effect standpoint. The effects sound bigger, having them bounce between speakers, having the differences in one side to the other, than when I just use my traditional guitar cabinet. I will also say the, that FRFR, the Mission Gemini, um, I, I think is a really cool unit. I initially didn't love the EQ of it, but the more I've played it at my house, the more I've come to understand, oh, wait a minute, this, is, this, this actually feels a, is closer to a guitar cabinet. So if you were to try a normal FRFR speaker, a, a real guitar cabinet, and the Gemini, the Gemini actually has some qualities about it, especially in the bass, that are more guitar cabinet than FRFR. You got to understand one thing. Guitar speakers cut off low end. The Celestian drivers cut off low end. Greenbacks don't get very bassy. They're warm, but a lot of that's low mids, high bass. You get a real cutoff. I have a friend who recently told me, um, uh, he's a record producer. It's my friend Chris Sly. And he told me, he said, listen, 230 to 260, those are mix killers. 230 to 260, chop it out. Do not have that in your guitar sound. You will, you will kill your mix. Don't have it in your house. Don't have it anywhere. You'll kill the mix. It's muddy. That's where the mud lives. A lot of mud lives there. Mud lives some other places too. But around that 230 to 260, you get lower than that, you get into where the bass can live. But you want to have some separation and frequency range between some instruments sometimes. And 230 to 230, 240, 250, 260 is a nice spot to have some separation between your lows and your low mids. Leave it empty. Try it. One thing I noticed was that FRFR speakers tend to have a lot of information in the low end. And I think in that 230 to 260 range that guitar cabinets tend to leave out. Because these FRFR speakers can reach lower in their frequency range, the Kemper, the, the Helix, it might be spitting out this information. It might be spitting out a lot of low end, and you by yourself might even dial in an amount of low end that comes in these lower frequencies that in a guitar cabinet might be a little more rounded off. So you might add the low end, and you're hearing stuff up higher. You're hearing 300. 
you're hearing 350 and you're liking that. But what's happening is in an FRFR, you might be adding those frequencies that you like, but adding a little too much of that bass in the, in the, in the mid to upper 200 frequency range. And you're going to be getting some, some frequencies that you don't like necessarily. The Gemini seem to have a similar low-end roll-off like a guitar cabinet, which leads me to say this. In comparison to the other speakers, the Gemini had a little less low-end than the other FRFR speakers, but it had what appeared to be a, a rolled-off amount of low-end in that it didn't stretch all the way into the lowest lows. Now, note about the Gemini. The Gemini on the back has an empower parameter. It's a knob. And you can go from full FRFR or down to the frequency of something like a guitar cabinet. Does it sound exactly like a guitar cabinet in full guitar cabinet mode? No, it doesn't. It still sounds like an FRFR, but an FRFR that you've limited the range to. And what it's, desi what it's designed to do is allow you to use a profile captured with microphones and or a model from like a Helix uh, that, that models microphones. Take that full range sound and it's lobbing off high end and low end and maybe doing some other stuff in the middle. I really don't know. But it's making it sound more like a traditional guitar cabinet. Let me make this statement. I can't tell you that it sounds 10% like a guitar cabinet, 20%, 70%, 80%, 90% like a guitar cabinet. What I can tell you though is that when I listen to my Kemper with headphones and then I listen to my Kemper through an FRFR and then I listen to my Kemper through, a, my powered Kemper through a cabinet and then I plug in the Mission, Gemini, it sounds more like a guitar cabinet in the room than the other FRFR speakers. It doesn't sound exactly like the cabinet, but there's a lot of information in the, in the cabinet part of the Kemper profile, in the model part of the Helix. So if you're looking for an FRFR speaker that might give you a little more amp in the room sound, I would recommend the Gemini. If you're looking for something that has full stereo options, I recommend the Gemini. It's expensive. In this world, it is probably the most expensive solution out there. It's about $1,400. And some of these other units we looked at are $300. But I think it offers stuff that the other units don't, that I don't see from the cheaper units. It doesn't offer everything that the Line 6 Power Cab has, so maybe that's an option for you if you want that built-in speaker emulation. But what this unit is trying to do is unique. It's unique because what it's doing is saying, give me your full FRFR signal and I will make you feel more like a guitar cabinet. If you are someone who, is, who, has, full F, who has a Kemper, a Helix, or whatever, and you want to send a direct signal straight to the front of house, and you want some, some volume on stage, you want to run a guitar cabinet on stage to keep up with the bass to be your monitoring source, this is a solution for that. This seems like a solution for people who really want a cabinet to be running with their on stage. Um, and maybe they don't want to have to deal with, well, I've got a Helix, now I need to power a cabinet, so I have to split the output, and I need to go out and get a power amp and go in. This unit would be perfect for that, and it wouldn't require a power amp and a separate speaker cap. It also gives you stereo. 
which is really cool to have on stage because you're going to want to send your effects in stereo. This unit is, is uh, really great for someone who wants a road-worthy piece of gear. That's one thing I would say that worries me about some of these FRFRs. I don't have the most confidence that they're not going to break. They don't all look to be built um, for the road. The mission does. So if you want to take the Kemper on the road and you want something that feels and sounds to a, to a good degree like a guitar cabinet, this thing is tough. It's got tough Tolex on it. It's going to wear like a guitar cabinet would. I wouldn't be too worried about banging it up or dinging it or whatever, where I kind of would be worried a little more about banging and hitting something like the Alto because it's plastic and it could crack. And if it cracks, you are now dealing with the actual structural integrity of the speaker. Imagine cracking the handle um, that's sort of molded into the speaker itself. So if, you're, if you are a person who says, I have this FRFR stuff, um, I, I have like a Kemper, a Helix, I'm sending a full range signal, I want something that feels like a guitar cabinet at home, I think this is an awesome unit, and if the stereo uh, feature is worth it, I would seriously check this thing out. I would check out the Gemini. It sounds good. The low end reminds me of a guitar cabinet, and I think you're going to get this. This is really where I think it shines. You ready for this? If you are someone who says, I want to be able to dial in my sound at home for how I think it sounds good, and then I want it to translate onto a weekend church service or a live show on Friday nights or a stadium tour or something. I think this unit, the more I use it, the more I think this unit is very good for that application. Because it lobs off some of the low and high end, you're going to tend to dial it in to sound good in your room like a guitar cabinet. And then you're going to take your Kemper or your Helix or whatever. You're going to take it out and you're going to play it. And you're going to have an experience that you're used to with an amp at home. And then you're going to run into an experience that you're used to when, like, like you would if you were miking up that cabinet at a gig. You're still going to run into the challenge of, hey, wait a minute. Um, do, do I like the amount of bass in my sound? Because when guitar is a solo instrument, we tend to like a lot of bass and highs. When it's in a mix, producers, engineers and tend to cut away a lot some of the highs and lows, and guitar becomes more of a mid-range focused instrument. We also can leave in certain amounts of highs that aren't competing with the vocals, blah, 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 blah. So I think if you're someone who says, I have a Kemper, I want it to sound more like an amp of the room, I want more of that feel, I want something bigger than just my studio monitors, and I want to be able to dial in my sound and then take my sounds with me and maybe leave the Gemini at home even and just play through in-ears, or bring the Gemini with me and use it as a monitor on stage, I think Mission Engineering has made your solution, I think it's a premium solution, and in a lot of ways you get what you pay for. Because we're going to hear, I have less to say about... now. I'll say this about the Mission Engineering in all honesty. Even when I put it on full FRFR mode, I don't have as much bass as I have in some of the other units. Is that good? Is it, is it coloring the sound? It depends on how you look at it. You might look at that and say, well, wait, even in full FR, it doesn't have as much bass as that. Is it not giving me all the frequencies? I don't know, maybe, but I'm telling you, it's giving you all the useful frequencies because like we're gonna get into with some of these other units, 
They're giving you frequencies that I'm trying to cut out and it's hard to cut them out. And so the FRFR speaker is actually working against me and what I know is gonna be actually be useful. So do I recommend the Gemini? I recommend the Gemini, absolutely. Um, if you fall under the use case that I just mentioned, I think it's a premium unit that should be thought about, but it is stereo. It has a ton of features that other people don't have. I think it's the most premium unit, uh, both in its build quality um, and in its price, obviously. And not every use case is gonna solve for every person. So should I say every person should buy a Gemini? It, no, because budget has to be factored in here. And this unit costs more than a Helix and about as much as a Kemper, like a used non-powered Kemper. So it's pricey. If your use case warrants it, I have no problem recommending this to people and saying this is an awesome unit. You should check it out. You really should. Let's move on and let's go to the um, let's go to the next unit that we try, uh, uh, which is the Alto. Now let's talk about the Alto here for a minute. Um, I did not go buy a headrush unit, and here's why. I couldn't find one in time to get this, to do this video. I can look at the headrush in the future, but I'm actually, I am gonna keep this Alto unit, and I'll get into this later. I'm gonna keep it because it's cheap, and because I'm gonna use it at home to make a wet, dry, wet setup, and I'm never gonna take that setup out of my house. And so the things that bother me about the Alto are not going to bother me so much that I'm going to go out and spend more money to fix them, especially when I'm only going to use it for my wet sound in a, in a wet, dry, wet setup. And I'm not even going to use it all that much. A lot of times, in fact, I'm not going to be using a wet, dry, wet setup at home. But the Alto was only $300 and it was cheap. I didn't get a head rush because... I've looked at the spec of the Headrush unit and this new Alto 312. I believe they're the same. I really do. Now, a lot of people are going to say, no, HW, the Headrush is not the same as the Alto unit. And to what I, that, I would say, you might be thinking of the Alto 210, which has one 10-inch speaker and is $250. It's a $250 FRFR, the Alto 10, 210. I didn't look at that one. I got the one that's one up from it. It's the 12-inch version. Same wattage, same everything from what I can tell from reading the specs on the Headrush. It looks to me that head, that the company that owns Headrush, Alto owns Alto, by the way, it looks to me they said we, could, we can brand a Headrush unit that will work for guitar players and we need to market it that way. It appears to me they're just putting a different name on it and marketing it towards guitar players at the Headrush and the Alto 312. It appears to be the same unit. It looks the same. It literally looks like a different badge. Now, I'm not slamming that. Like I've said before, these units are putting out a finished sound. So speakers that have been used in the past for PAs, for monitoring, for monitoring other instruments, they're, they're perfectly uh, viable solutions for what we're now trying to do with Kemper and Helix. So I'm not saying it's bad that it's just a rebranded thing. That might be what you want. That might be what you need. That in no way works against it. Now, let me say this, though, about the Alto 312. And by the way, I could be wrong. They could be slightly different units. I'm just telling you I'm not able to see the difference from looking at the spec sheet. And I, I, you know, I, I did glance over it, but I, I couldn't find it was different. The waters is the same. Everything looks to be about the same. So what I will probably do is get a Headrush unit and compare it to the 312 in the future. And we'll answer this question once for all. Is the Alto 312 the same? They're even the same price. So I can't even under, understand why... Um, what what it is about it. Now, the 312 has some issues, but it's a very good 
solution for the money. Again, if we're considering price, it's only 300 bucks. Again, earlier we said the Gemini has stereo built in. You could, if you want, go, well, look, I could buy two Altos and get stereo. But here was where the Alto fell apart for me. One, it's, it's very loud. Now, that might be good or it might be bad, but I have the, but it's actually, it means there's not a huge usable range on the Alto 312. It's a very loud speaker. Um, so I have to have it almost off. That's not a bad thing. I'm just something I'm noticing. It has too much bass. It has a very boomy bass. The Alto, while being physically the smallest unit, actually had the boomiest bass in the room. And it was something I had to fix to play the guitar. And this is where, for me, the Alto doesn't win. It can't win. It gets disqualified on this amount, on this, on this basis here. The Alto 312, and I'm not sure about the 210. I can, we can look into it. I might look at budget FRFR options in a future video future podcast, etc. The Alto 312 had this amount of boomy bass. It was some like low, like 200 hertz frequency. It was very bassy, very boomy. And what it meant I had to do, even by lowering the bass on the Kemper, on the EQ, it was unable to take out those low lows, which is understandable. Think about this. A bass control on a guitar is usually not going to affect something 200 or lower very much. Those are the frequencies we're not going to be using on a guitar very much. Those are the frequencies that, um, unless it's a very bassy amp or you're really trying to get, we just aren't going to use that in a mix. People are saying, oh, come on, HW, what about the chugga chugga stuff? Yeah, right, no. Actually, you tighten up a guitar sound by dipping some of those lower frequencies, leaving in a lot of that upper bass, low mid-range. Maybe you allow some of it in there, but you're definitely not letting those frequencies sound boomy. That would be the opposite of a tight guitar. That's a loose guitar. That boominess in the bass is why Fender Twins, when you turn them on 10, sound flubby and loose. That amount of bass... Let me explain tightness and, and looseness in bass for a minute. The lower a sound goes, what happens to the, to the, the size of the sound wave? The distance from peak to valley gets wider. That is physically why too much low bass sounds loose to you. If you, as you raise the pitch, as you get rid of some of that, it can, it, it, you can actually per start to perceive from the human ear that something sounds somehow tighter, but still very bassy. And it's because as these frequencies get lo longer and longer, as these frequencies get lower and lower, the distances get longer and longer, and it just, it, it, it takes on this bellowy, loose, boomy quality. It just sounds uncontrolled, and it, it just starts bouncing around. Oh, it's just all over the place. The Alto, I had to actually go into my Kemper and reduce the bass. It, it didn't do enough. I had to go into the cabinet section and shift some of those lower frequencies up, 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 up to get rid of a lot of that low end. Well, here's the drawback to that. If I'm sitting in my house and everything seems too bassy, so I'm shifting all of the cabinet uh, doing the low shift up trick where I'm actually taking the lowest frequencies and moving them up because that FRFR speaker is accentuating these, these lows so much. It's amplifying these lows so high. Then what happens is when I show up somewhere else and I use a different speaker or I use a PA system, the sound guy might tell me there's too much, there's too much, low, there's not enough low end. Or 
It could work out that the guy says, wow, dude, you have a great sound. I'm not even having to cut much low end. You have the perfect amount of low end. It could work out both ways. But I say that all to say, in the room, I was unhappy with the amount of boomy low end. It, it was actually quite nice across everything else. The highs were, were nice. The mids were nice. It was all, it was all a good sounding speaker. And it's, it's why at $300, I've got to consider, well, for $300, and maybe the Alto 210 has less of a boomy bass, the, it's just producing too much in those low frequencies for me to say this is the best FRFR. But considering the price... You could set up a wet dry wet rig with a like what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a guitar cabinet in the middle from my powered Kemper, and then I'm going to send the wet signal only. And I'm going to put dry in the middle, and I'm going to send the wet signals only to some uh, altos that I spread out a little bit. And for six hundred bucks, um, on top of the cost of the speaker, let's say I already have my main speaker, for six hundred bucks you can get two of these altos and and do a full wet dry wet, and. It's the type of thing that you can just, you, if you wanted to have a full wet, dry, wet live, you could bring it. If you don't, you could leave those two altos at home and they just sit there. Um, can you play it by themselves? You can. Do you need to adjust for the bass? You absolutely will have to. It's just, they're by, it's by far much more bassy in this low 200 hertz area than any of the other things we tried. So do I recommend the alto? I recommend it if a budget is really the thing you're thinking about because this is the cheapest solution. You might also check out the 210. Um, if you're looking for wet, dry, wet or something to do stereo and you want a little bigger in your house, there you go. These units would also work beautifully for keyboards. Uh, it would probably work fine for bass or for acoustic guitar. It would also work for a single individual monitor if you were the only person playing. And it has two inputs, which means you could put an acoustic guitar and a vocal through it. This unit is not a bad unit to have around if you're just a musician because you can run a guitar, you, like I said, you can run your keyboard through it. You could do a little coffee house gig and bring that. Maybe none of that's appealing to you. I'm just saying it's a nice utilitarian speaker um, for about 300 bucks. There is no EQ on this thing, by the way. So I could not handle the bass by itself. There was a mid contour switch where I could pull out the mids, but what happened is I actually, when I first turned it on, I had the mid contour switch on, so it was taking out some mids. That included some low mid range, and so when I turned that off to get even a flatter response out of the mid range, no scoop in the mids, um, it added back in some low mids. That added on top of the boominess of the bass made it worse. So the mid-contour switch sounded its best when it was scooping a little bit. Um, and that's typical to have on a PA speaker, actually, at that price range. Um, and again, back to my earlier point, nobody complains that somehow a, a PA speaker with a mid-contour switch is somehow not a true FRFR, not a true speaker. It's up to the discretion of the sound engineer, the sound person, to use it or not use it. They can scoop it out there and not have to re-EQ everything on the board to cut out mids. It just becomes like a global... EQ change. EQ is all relative. There's no such thing as, you know, one thing. You're, wherever you sit in a room, it affects it. So there's some real advantages to the Alto. Uh, again, it all goes back to what you're optimizing for. Single unit on the road, want reliable sound on stage? I say the mission. But with that, you got to understand there's a price tag involved. If, if, if money is um, a big 
a differentiator, if it is a big driving force in your in your uh, in what you're going to get here, because maybe you either just don't have a big need outside the home. Um, and this is just for playing at home, or you're just straight up broke. You just bought a Kemper, you just bought a Helix. You know, your Vox AC15 only got you so much money when you sold it. Maybe then then I understand if the mission is cost prohibitive and you might go, uh, I'm going to go with the Alto. I think the Alto could work nicely. I think you have to adjust the base portion of it. The Alto 310, available at Guitar Center. You can get them all over the place. They're 300 bucks. Can't say anything more about that. The next speaker that I want to talk about was my own speaker, the Friedman ASM-12. Now, the Friedman ASM-12, um, it's one I've been using for a long time. I know it well. I like it. I had no idea how it sounds compared to these other um, sort of units. So um, probably I just stepped into another room, so my, my the echo just changed big time here. But anyway, I'm going to go back where I was. Okay. Um, the Friedman ASM-12 here, it, I have no idea what it sounds like compared to other units before I did this. So I don't know if it's great or not. If you were one of the many people, and I probably answered, no joke, I've probably gotten this question in 50 different emails uh, in the past year. Hey, HW, I'm looking at FRFRs. What should I get? To me, I always answer that as truthfully and as honestly as possible, and I try to be aware of the fact that I hadn't tried everything, and I still haven't tried everything. So I can give you some ideas of what these sound like now, but I still haven't tried the Atomic. I still haven't tried the Zytone. I still haven't tried everything on the market. Nobody can try everything. Well, maybe I can. But the, the point is, I would always tell people this. If you've asked this question, you already know the answer that I gave you, which is, I have a Friedman ASM-12. I really enjoy it. I think it sounds nice. Maybe if, depending on when I answer this question, I told you what it sounded like in comparison to the Line 6 Power Cap. But I told you, but it's the only one I've had. I'm happy with it, but I haven't tried many other units. That was true until we did this video. The Friedman ASM-12, we all couldn't believe what we were hearing. It's by far the weirdest sounding one. I thought it sounded great. Now, previously, we had compared these two, two units. We had compared just when I had the Friedman and when the Suze had the Line 6 Power Cab. We compared our two, and we both preferred the sound of the Friedman, actually. We both preferred them because the Friedman had a little more highs. It somehow had a chimey quality in the highs, a very ple like a pleasing, bright, sparkly high end, where the Power Cab didn't sound too different, but it had... It had like, uh, I wouldn't say a dullness. It just wasn't as sparkly. So now fast forward to us doing this comparison. We also noticed that the Friedman had a little more bass than the power cap. So I looked at that and I thought, well, more bass, more highs. Somehow seems a little more mid-rangey too. It just seemed like more. I looked at that and I thought, you know what I think it is? The power cab is small. It's quite a small unit, the power cab is. And the Friedman ASM-12 is larger. It's just a physically larger box. They're both 112, but it's a physically larger box. And I thought, that larger box must have more to do with it. There's more air being pushed. There's, it's just a larger box. We know that larger oversized cabs often have a different sound. But I would describe the Friedman this way. We all were scratching our heads listening to it. The Suze immediately said, I don't like the sound of this very much after we've compared all these. And I said, I know what you mean. But I'm very used to it in my room, which is why I'm going to keep it. And I've, I've, I don't use it in the profiling process. What I do is I use it later 
to go back through one I use it to play for fun at home I use it to you know listen to myself while I'm playing in videos and stuff you always hear the direct sound in the videos but I'm using that Friedman to monitor my own sound in the room but we all were scratching our heads going it sounds like it has more bass, more mids, and more treble. And we actually tried to, we actually like the treble. It doesn't have more treble. It has a different quality of treble, a really pleasing sort of chimey sparkle in the high end that some of the other FRFR units didn't have. And overall, the ASM-12 made some of the other high, uh, some of the high end in the other units, it made it sound a little um, sterile. It just had a little bit of a liveliness in the high end. But it also had more mids and, and a little more bass. So as a thought experiment, we said, okay, let's make some of these sound the same. When we were trying to make these Gem the Gemini sound like the Alto, we couldn't do it. We had to take so much, we had to put, put so much bass into the Gemini to get it to sound like the Alto and take so much bass out of the Alto to make it sound like the Gemini that we just couldn't even get them there. But we, we did cut out some bass and we said, well, now the Friedman sounds like the Line 6. In, in terms of the bass, but we had to cut some bass on the Kemper. Then the Sioux said, but there's so much mid-range. He scoops the mid-range like way out, like more than I would recommend you do it. And then it sounded closer to the frequency response of the power cab, but we still preferred the highs and the Friedman. So somehow, I don't know how it's even possible. I, I kind of do. There's, there's, it means there's peaks in the EQ somewhere. The Friedman somehow has more bass, more mids, and more treble. <laughs> And I know that's funny, but what it's happening, it's, it's just, I think it has some peaks in, in its EQ. It seemed to me to be sort of the least flat for that reason, because of that mid-range kind of push there, which is, which is interesting. It's not mid-range push like in a guitar cabinet that you might really love and go, oh, it's a mid-rangey speaker like a V30, like a, like a Celestia Vintage 30. No, no, no. The, the Friedman has this type of low mid-range that's very present. It's not overly bassy, but it has a very warm, low mid-range quality. Full disclosure, I have seen at least as many people hate the Friedman as like it, as I have seen like it online. And I may even have read more negative comments about the Friedman than positive ones. So full disclosure, I enjoy the Friedman. And so I'm hesitant to recommend it to anyone because I've noticed the response of other people have been things like, couldn't get rid of the Friedman fast enough, then they got something else. Couldn't get rid of that fast enough, then I got something else. Or hated that, but I... But then I see people who like the Friedman. My buddy Tommy, who I think has really good taste in gear, really good taste in tone and amps and guitars and everything. My buddy Tommy Z, he... He really didn't like the Friedman. And I, I told him how much I liked it. And then I think he kind of bought it on that recommendation. I saw him selling it later and I felt bad. I felt like ah, I recommended this thing and he didn't like it. And, you know, it's just a waste of money and a waste of time. And, you know, you buy those things new and you sell them used and you lose some money on it. So I, I felt bad about that. Maybe that's why I, I'm cautious to recommend it. But for me, I personally have it in my office in my studio space. I have it. I enjoy it. I like the way it sounds. But let me just say this. I know how it sounds in my room downstairs and I'm used to it. So when, I, when I'm making Tone Junkie profiles, I make them in the studio. I, I leave them alone for a little bit. I come back and I revisit them and I check to make sure the brightness is sort of consistent, that there's not, that the bass doesn't get too bassy as you roll up the guitar 
um, uh, gain, as you roll up the gain on the amp, you know, as you're profiling, I want to make sure there's sort of consistent EQ across all of the profiles. I use the Friedman for that purpose. And so I know how all the matchless stuff sounds through there. And I will often pull up older packs, play them. I'll play the Chieftain, the Clubman. Like, like when I was dialing in the Bad Cat Luke and the Bad Cat Judah. I thought, okay, this is similar circuits to some other thing. It's in a similar vein as the matchless stuff. So I played a bunch of the matchless stuff and then approached the Luke and Judah and made some adjustments. Made some adjustments to the amount of compression, to the clarity control, to all these things. Because I want them to feel like that amp. But I also want them to be consistent with other Tone Junkie profiles. I don't want to put out a profile set that's somehow way more bassy than something else. Unless that was a real defining characteristic of the amp. For example, the Tweety Edge pack is just dirty and mid-rangey and growly. And I would have loved to give you some more sparkly highs, but it's just not in there. It's just not in that amp. Um, the cleans sound good, but they were limited, and it was, and, and to get those, we had to profile the amp at a fairly low volume, and up the level of the of the pre, of the uh, well lower the level on the Kemper, or up the return level really of the Kemper. Anyway, because it was a lower signal going in, you up the level listening back. But it, it, you know those the cleaner those profiles are with that amp, uh, the very clean ones are low volume. And then once you get that amp to, it, it, it maxes out in volume very quickly. When you get to four on that amp, you're as loud as you're ever going to be. And, and usually I think amps take till five or something, you know, but, but um, and when I say four, I think I mean four on the dial. It's four out of 12, I believe. Like it was low, like you're, you're lower than most. I think max out in volume, and then it just gets dirty, 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 dirty. It's a dirty amp. It's a low wattage amp. It's 12, 12 watts, and there's a ton of breakup in the preamp, which is unique for that's what makes tweed fenders have their sound. There's a ton of mid-range and breakup in the in the preamp, which you don't get in blackface stuff. Almost all of the breakup in blackface stuff, save for the fender basemen, um, save for the blackface basement, is power amp distortion, because there's just no gain in the preamp. That's how they stay so clean. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, the Friedman, would I recommend it? Listen. Am I going to recommend the Friedman to you? No. No, I don't think uh, I don't think I can do that. Um, let's talk about the price for a minute and what really has me hesitating. We've talked about the Mission Engineering Cab and what it does and what makes it unique and uh, what makes it um, you know worth that fourteen hundred dollar price point. We've talked about the Alto and what it does and doesn't do and we've talked about its price point and both of those have different cells the mission's bringing a ton of value and a ton of features to a higher price point they're they're going premium the alto is not going premium they're going lower end and but very but usable it's still very usable and you could be very happy with it you just got to know it has some excess low end uh, i like the alto i like cheap stuff that works pretty well you know what i mean um, I think that's a cool thing. I think it's great that it's on the market, you know? Um, it's not my favorite, but it is what it is. The Friedman, though, here's my problem. They're $699 or $799 for the ASM-12. The ASC-12, the one that's shaped like a guitar cabinet, is a little... Uh, I don't know if it's more or less, but... For that money, you could buy two Altos. And you have stereo. And there's two of them. 
for that money, you could get an alto and a small EQ pedal to literally um, duct tape or glue or, or Velcro onto the back of the alto to cut out some bass. You could do a lot of things. Um, and there's also the Line 6 Power Cab to talk about, which is really why I'm not going to recommend the Freedman, because it's the pretty much the exact same price as the Line 6 Power Cab Plus, and the Line 6 Power Cab, the non-plus version, also gives you most of the features that I'm going to praise the Line 6 Power Cab for. Not all of them, but it, it has most of them. And in fact, it has the ones I care about. The Plus seems to add some features that I just don't think are very valuable, and I'll get into that. I can't recommend the Friedman ASM-12 because I just don't think it's worth $800. I don't think it's worth $800 because... It just doesn't really bring much to the table other than it says Friedman on it, and it sounds pretty good, but I think you can get more for your money by looking at the Line 6 Power Cab. So although I'm going to keep my Friedman, and if you have one, I actually think the FRFR mode sounds better than the Power Cab. I think the Power Cab adds some other things. Now, one thing we haven't talked about, and here's one thing I want to praise the Line 6 Power Cab for, is weight. The Mission Cab is a big 212. It's the only 212 unit that we've talked about. It's two speakers, two heavy speakers with all wood construction, Tolex, and, uh, you know, rubber feet. It's, it has two big handles. It's a guitar cabinet that's FRFR. It has a bunch of options, you know. It's got a speaker cable, too, that you can't pull out the back. It, it like, locks into place, so you can't pull it out by tripping on it, which is cool. But at four, okay, so at 800 bucks, you got to ask yourself, okay, should I spend 600 more and get the Gemini that does stereo, that does that? Well, yeah, that, that, I could, I could see someone wanting to do that depending on their use case. If they're playing live or they want something that behaves more like a guitar cabinet, yeah, I think that works. I think that I, I, I could make that jump. If you want something that, does stereo, you have to make the jump. If you're not really concerned with those features and you want something just for the house, for the bedroom, maybe for playing out live once or twice, but you're not too concerned about dialing out some of the bass, I mean, literally less than half the price gets you the alto. So I just can't get there with the Freeman ASM-12 that I'm going to tell everyone to go out and get it, and it's the one I've been using. So you might be wondering, HW, there's a long podcast and you started by talking about all this stuff. I started with that in mind knowing that I was going to tell you the one I've been using is not the one I'm recommending. How's that for honesty on the Tone Junkie podcast? No buyer's remorse here. I'm just not going to tell you it's the best one because it ain't. Moving on to the last option, or second to last option really, um, is the Line 6 Power Cab. Now wait, let's talk about weight again. Mission Engineering, Gemini. I believe it's 70-something pounds, 75 pounds. It's, it's heavy. It's heavier than a guitar cabinet because the speakers are heavy. It's a heavy, heavy cabinet. And then on top of that, um, you step down one. Sorry, not on top of that. But you step down one and you go, and the next heaviest is this unit. It's 50-something pounds. And it's, it's, it's 50-something pounds, and I don't understand what features you're getting for more weight other than I guess they just built a heavy box. There's probably also some wood in there. It feels like wood because there is like Tolex covering on it. So it looks, you know, guitar ampy, guitar cabinet-like. 
But the Line 6 Power Cab has a really attractive uh, weight at about 30 pounds. It's light enough that you can carry a Kemper or a Helix um, in an over-the-shoulder bag or in the Helix backpack, have a guitar in one hand and the Power Cab in the other. Now, you may need to get a gym membership to do it comfortably or for long distances, but you can absolutely do it. Um, I'm not the most in-shape guy, but I am 6'2", and fairly strong, I suppose. I mean, I'm I'm 6'2", I, I, I don't feel underpowered, I often lift heavy things, like my kids, every freaking day for like 10 hours a day, my kids are constantly, Daddy, hold me, Daddy, care. So, you know, I got a little dad strength going on. But, you know, um, I, I can lift it fine, you know. Uh, my wife would say that the, you know, the, I'm sure she would say the 30 pounds is kind of heavy, but whatever. She's not lifting it. So the Line 6 also brings some other things to the table, and and it's why I actually like the Line 6 a lot. The Line 6 has an FRFR mode that I told you we didn't love as much as the Friedman, but it it wasn't miles away. It wasn't – it was yards away. You know what I mean? It wasn't a long distance off either. It has a reasonable amount of bass. It didn't have too much bass. It didn't have too little. The highs – uh, were good. They could have been a little chimier like the Freedom, but again, the highs in the Line 6 Power Cab were just were similar to that of the Alto. The, the Freedman just seemed to have this nice thing going on in the high end, so I can't fault the other speakers for not having that uh, happen. But the Alto um, had some problems, which the Line 6 doesn't. So it's light, it's portable, it's got tilt-back legs, which to me are stupid. I don't, you know, it's not the 1950s. Fender... They, you know, is anyone putting tilt back legs on expensive amplifiers? No, it's not. It's not something the market is demanding, and it's just not. So I guess tilt back legs are nice, so you can use it as a as a as a monitor to use live on stage in front of you. So that's good, but I don't know. I guess that actually makes it bridge the gap between being shaped like a wedge where it can point up at you and not. So bravo for putting that in. Um. But it has other features. In FRFR mode, I think it's a it's a good sounding FRFR. Um, it sounds good. I would not sell my power if I was just using an FRFR only. Would I get rid of the power cab because the Friedman and the high end sounded slightly better? No, I wouldn't. And the Suze actually said to me, "I'm not sure if that Friedman high end quality is a quality I'd want all the time." And I said, "That's a good point. With another profile, it, it might be too much." We tried different profiles, and I never felt like it was too much, but it could be. It could be with a very chimey, bright profile. It could be too much. But I tend to like some of my Voxy amps through that thing even more. So there you go. The, the Line 6 Power Cab for me is a really nice balance between price. I think the expensive Power Cab is $599 or $699, and the cheaper one is $399 or $499. The, what are the differences in the Plus and the regular unit? Well... The plus uh, moves the um, the controls to the top of the unit, which is almost worth it to me just for that. And then also, it ha- they both have speaker modeling. The Line 6 Plus, um, the PowerCab Plus, gives you the option to run IRs in the speaker cab itself, um, which I'm going to get into why I just think that's not... I don't care about that feature, and I'm not really sure in what situation I'm supposed to care about that feature. But... It has this really cool feature set, which is speaker emulation. And we went through the speakers, and it is impressive. It sounds like what it's supposed to sound like. The, the, um, 
the Jensen sounded like a Jensen. The greenback sounded like a greenback. The blue sounded like a blue. We used direct profiles, went right into it, used its speaker emulation, and it sounded very similar to a guitar cabinet in the room. It was close. We then plugged in a guitar cabinet in the room and laughed at it. No, I'm kidding. We didn't laugh at it, but um, definitely there's nothing quite like a real guitar cabinet in the room. If that's what you're trying to do, just do that. But the Line 6 Power Cab did a good job of sounding similar to that and of sounding, if you're using direct profile, sounding like an amp that, that was changing the speaker types. So I thought it was quite well done. Um, and I think it was very cool. I think if you're looking for something that's all around a really great unit, the Line 6 speaker uh, power cab might be the way to go. It's got a really respectable FRFR. It's 30 pounds. It's $6.99 or $5.99 for the expensive one. It's even cheaper for the other one. And I might recommend that if you don't care about these, the um, controls and the, little, and the little display screen being placed on top, if you don't care about that, you might go with a cheaper unit because the only thing I really cared about in this unit was those two features, the speaker emulation, which was fun for playing at home, maybe fun for just trying different stuff out. And then also, it was just, uh, uh, it's a good price, good weight. It's great. It's a great little unit. I would buy one if I didn't already have a cabinet and now I had an Alto, which I'm kind of like, do I even want to return it? And then, and then I also have uh, the Friedman already. So if I was in the market, I might recommend, if you're a little bit price conscious and you've got to weigh out features and stuff, the Line 6 Power Cab is bringing some stuff to the table that I don't see other things bringing with this speaker emulation. Um, and so would I recommend you buy it? Yeah, I would. I think it's a great addition to someone's arsenal. Now, let me get into why, again, I'm always disappointed with Line 6 products. The tilt-back legs I understand the use for. I'm not going to use them. But I understand why it's there. There's a plus and a not plus version. And to me, it adds a feature set that has me just wondering why I'm doing that. And I'll tell you what I think the plus should have been. I think the lower priced unit of the Line 6 Power Cab is perfect for what it is. It's a killer price point, And to be honest, I think they could probably sell that unit for 100 bucks more than they do. It still would be a great, a great add-on, but I understand why they price it there. They want people to jump up from something like the Alto or the Headrush and say, look, here's an FRFR speaker. I could spend 300 bucks or I could spend 500 bucks and get even more features. It's not quite double the price. It's usable. It's cool. And I trust line six. So I get it. I understand why they price it that way. I cannot for the life of me really understand why the line six power cab plus runs its own IRs. I cannot understand it. And I've thought about this a lot. And Please, if you'd like to put it in the comments, go ahead and enlighten me, but I don't think you're going to say anything I haven't already thought of here. Let me explain. If we're trying to sell an FRFR speaker, we're telling people it sounds flat, right? Okay, that sounds good. We also make a unit called a Helix, and a lot of people might be using this with a Kemper or with a Headrush or a Bias or an Axe. All units that take care of the cabinet section by itself. So I want someone to explain this to me because it's not in any Line 6 material. It's not in the, the writing at all. And so to me, it is confusing. As a consumer, going back to what we talked about at the, end, at the beginning of the video, I am not exceedingly confident that the Line 6, that the Power Cab Plus is worth it because Line 6 has not explained to me this. If I get the same exact IR and run it in my Helix 
and then run it into the power cab in FRFR mode. How is that different than running the, the Helix with no cabinet simulation and running that same FRFR in the power cab? I feel like because it's not being addressed and because the Line 6 power cab says you can run IRs in the unit and that's a feature, it must be doing something that makes that a good thing. But I can't quite understand what it is. Now listen, if someone wants to put, okay, well, HW, it's not FRFR mode. You, it, you're actually running the IR in the power cabinet. Well, then to that I would say, no, that doesn't make any sense. What is the speaker doing? The speaker is running in FRFR mode when you load in your own IRs because the IR is giving you a three-band EQ with an adjustable or a, a, a dynamic response um, or an, an impulse response, which is what the IR is. It at different velocities is changing its EQ. That's what makes an IR different than just a three-band EQ. At different velocities, it's going to handle differently. Kind of like a keyboard. When you press it harder, it might do one thing. But when you press it softly, it doesn't do any, it doesn't do that. Think of an electric piano. When you hit hard, it actually simulates the overdrive of, of, an over, of you hitting the input of an amplifier or hitting the output of that, that powered um, electric uh, piano, but we're not doing that here. I cannot understand, and it's not in any literature, how running a cabinet, how running an IR, excuse me, is different in the IR as compared with just different in the unit itself. Then you have people selling IR specifically designed for the power cab. I, why is that important? I, line six hasn't communicated in their marketing why that's something I would want to do. Now, if line now if the solution to this, and maybe I'm misunderstanding it, and I'm and I'm seeing people on the message boards communicate it in a way that's leaving me a little confused. If the value add here is just well, hey, now you can use a different preamp unit, or you can use something that doesn't have cab cabinet emulation, like a preamp pedal, like. You can go straight from your pedal board into a Joyo or some sort of amp sim and then use this IR in, and the speaker right there. You can do that. Oh, now that's interesting. I think that's what it's for, but I just see people confused by that. And so it's kind of getting me confused. It has me sitting back going, no, I'm not sure if, if the product's being understood correctly. But again, what leaves me a little confused, Line 6 doesn't seem to answer this. I've searched for this answer. I don't see it. seems like I'm not the only person asking this question either. How is running an IR in that unit different than running the IR outside that unit and leaving it in flat response mode or full range uh, flat response mode? I can't understand, but those two things should be the same unless, unless they're explaining why they would technically be different. So I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that. Um, also, Line 6 makes it look like a toy. Um, I always go back to this with Line 6 products. They always produce really great products that fit the professional market really well or the pro-am market, the professional amateur market, but then their graphics and marketing stuff is always geared at the middle of the market. It's always geared at the Sunday Warrior, the cover band warrior, and at um, the hobbyist. And what that does is take away, it takes away um, uh, the validity that it would have in the professional market. Uh, again, I've gone into this before, but to me, I think if the people at Line 6 in the marketing department understood that technology has made pro audio equipment so cheap that they're the only people left in the market still marketing their products this way, they're very successful, so I can't say it's wrong, but I just, I do think actually there are, I see 
people online and on the message boards, and myself included, who who look at professional solutions and in their head think the professional solutions like a UA product would be better than a Line 6 product, when in actuality I'm not sure that's true, just on the standpoint of sound quality and usability. I actually think that Line 6 could be taken more seriously in some circles. And so, well, listen, that might just be line six going. That's not how we're going to market the product. Yes, you you are wise, HW, for realizing that our stuff is every bit as good as some of the other stuff out there, even if some circles don't take us as seriously. Thank you for that acknowledgement, but don't tell us how to do our marketing. I, I respect that, actually. Maybe, maybe they're selling more because they're marketing it that way. It could be. I'm just telling you, it leaves me confused a little bit because sometimes I run into Line 6 products that I think are absolutely phenomenal. And I actually think the Power Cab is a phenomenal solution. It's just the way they've designed it and made it look, it looks a little too space-agey for me to be taken seriously. When you notice companies like UA actually don't design their stuff to be space-agey, they're actually designing their stuff to look a little more traditional so that it appeals to more tube purists so that they can then approach the product, use their ears, and go, wow, this thing does sound good. Whereas I think some of the graphic choices and some of the positioning choices that Line 6 makes on the design of of, uh, of things like the power cab. It just looks a little spacey. It looks a little hot, like futuristic, I'll say. It's not bad. It's just, I just think it's worth noting that it always hits me in that way. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Line 6, I'm a big fan of the stuff they've been putting out lately. I'll tell you what I would have done with the power cab. I would release a third power cab model that has a reactive load in it so that I could take any speaker amp plug my amp into that, into the PowerCab Plus Plus, and then I would uh, be able to run IRs in that unit with a speaker or uh, do speaker emulation. I'm not really aware of any other unit that's both housing the IR and the speaker emulation and an FRFR for a monitor on stage, but someone should make that. Someone should seriously make that. Whoever makes that first is really, really going to have some awesome... uh, some awesome success on their hands, and I hope that's someone soon. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, what have what am I recommending here? Well, an hour and a half into it, I'm I, I'm going to say this is my takeaway. If you are looking for something that behaves like a guitar cabinet and $1,400 is not too much for you, if you really like the idea like I do of built-in stereo, there's only one unit offering that. There's only one unit that seems to be very road-worthy in its construction and that feels like a guitar cabinet. That is the Mace, that is the Mission Engineering Gemini 2. I really think you should look at that. I think if you're someone who wants to take a Kemper, doesn't want to get a powered Kemper, or doesn't want to get a Line 6 and get a power amp and run it through a real cabinet, if you're someone who wants to take any solution and say, I have a full, full response, a full frequency um, piece of, of technology here, and I want to run it um, right into a real guitar, into something that feels like a real guitar cab, you should check out the Mission Engineering Gemini 2. And they have multiple models. There's a powered and a non-powered. So um, you could even, you could you do different stuff with it. You could run it from a powered Kemper too. Um, if you are looking for something budget-like, I would highly recommend you check out the Alto 312 and maybe the Headrush. If the Headrush unit is different and they took out some bass to make it voice better for guitar, that is an awesome solution. 
300 bucks. It's kind of bassy. It's too bassy, but um, uh, you notice less at lower volumes. And um, I wouldn't use it to monitor on stage, but you can use it at home, and I think it's going to be nice. I think it sounds good for 300 bucks. It's a great unit. If if you're on a budget, 300 bucks. That's the one I recommend. If you can't go to the Mission Engineering and and really budget's a primary concern, 300 bucks will get you. If you want to get two of them for stereo, you can do that. But I think the the real uh, winner here in terms of a balance between price and some features you don't find other places. Um, is the Line 6 Power Cab. Now, does it do stereo? No, it does not. So the Gemini's got a leg up on it there. Um, but it's a nice FRFR. It's light. It doesn't have too much bass. It doesn't have too much high end. All in all, I think I like the Power Cab because there's not much to dislike about it. So I don't feel too passionately about loving it. But it does have some really cool features in terms of speaker modeling. So that's what I'm going to say. If you want something that sounds like it, I don't think the, I don't think the mission engineering is 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 really fairly compared to all these other ones because it's kind of solving a different problem. I think if you want something that makes your Kemper or Helix sound and respond a little more like a guitar cabinet, and you want to have some real adjustability on the empower knob between FRFR and guitar speed and guitar cab, the mission it's got stereo, but it's a little pricey. It's also heavy and hefty and solid. It's got a bunch of ins and outs. You do a lot with it. If you then, uh, but you go, hey, I can't afford that, get the Alto. I don't think that's a bad decision at all. And if you're like, let me go right in the middle, I think that's a Line 6 power cap. I can't answer this question any more than that because I can't answer you what's the best guitar speaker. To me, it's the Scumbag M75s. They're, they're modeled after pre-Rolla. They're modeled after Celestian pre-Rolla cream back speakers, cream back, C-R-E-A-M back speakers. And I think they sound better than reissue cream backs. Um, but who doesn't love a Vox with blues? I do. So I, you should buy that. Who doesn't love a, a 410 uh, Jensen through, through with a, a Super Reverb? That. But the cream back, the scumbacks don't do all those different sounds. So what's the best guitar speaker? It's the one you like the best. For me, it's the scumbacks, but they aren't perfect for everything. For me, what's my favorite FRFR? I just told you. I think the Gemini is awesome. I think the Line 6 Power Cab is awesome because it's light. I would take that, you know, on a Sunday morning before I drag my 70-pound Gemini. But if I'm on the road, I got cartage, or I just want something for my Friday night gigs, or especially if I play once a month, I might bring that in. I want to monitor on stage. The Gemini isn't going to give me too much bass. It seems that I can dial it in for a guitar cab, and then I'm going to be happy on stage, still be able to send full signal out to the board. Or the Alto. Hey, if, if you only have 300 bucks, the Gemini, it doesn't matter if it's 1400 bucks, doesn't matter if the Line 6 is 600 or 400 or whatever. If you only have 300 bucks, those, everything might as well be a million bucks. It's more money than you got. Go get that Alto and be happy. There's some great stuff out there. Go buy it up. I've been HW. This has been episode 18, the FRFR shootout, my thoughts, uh, my uh, the results. And uh, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to Tone Jerky Podcast. It means the world to me. I'm going to have some video content coming up. Don't worry, guys. Appreciate you, appreciate you, appreciate you. Thank you so much. Hit me up and uh, leave some comments. Thanks. HW, out.